So I wanted to give a little bit of an introduction for those of you that may not have gone through a confirmation class when you were younger. Um, and actually, to even give an explanation of why we have our confirmation class for eighth grade students. And I want to do that by actually reading some excerpts from our church's creed. This was written in 1915 by some of the founding fathers of our church. And I think it's quite interesting. They stated of themselves, This church is a body of faith that strives to offer hope, strength, education, and fellowship. What does it expect in return? Above all, the church expects sincerity. Sincerity in your attendance, sincerity in your giving of time, talents, and resources, and sincerity in a relationship both to your pastors and to your feather congregants. Sincerity in the willingness to serve and be served. Sincerity in the commitment to learn and to grow. Sincerity in your conduct, and of course, sincerity in belief. And then this is how the creed itself starts. We favor a sane, simple, and earnest piety, free alike from cant and extravagance. We assume no right to dictate to another his creed, but with charity for one another's individual peculiarities of belief, we unite on the basis of the Christian religion. That's why we have confirmation. It's not an indoctrination process where we go in and we tell them what they're supposed to believe if they want to join our church. We welcome what they come with. We try to give them all the information and materials of the Christian faith that we can explain to them and offer to them and kind of shine a light on. And then we give them the opportunity to tell us what it is they believe and why. So it really is an exciting process. And I think if you guys could be a fly on the wall and hear some of the questions that come from these students as we wrestle with everything from did Noah's Ark really happen to was Jesus really born of a virgin and how did he do all this other stuff that he did and how am I supposed to respond to what I'm hearing really is a cool process at the bottom line of it is the word faith I want to give you just the biblical definition from our passage in Hebrews this morning Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 and this is the definition of faith Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you cannot see. I'm going to say that again just to let it sink in. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you cannot see. Sure of what you hope for, certain of what you cannot see. What are you guys sure of and hopeful of, but yet you can't tangibly put your hand on it? Can't prove it to somebody else? Well, faith is an interesting idea, kind of a squishy proposition. Sometimes I wonder if in our thought of attaining faith, is it man's search for God, or is our journey towards faith really God's passionate pursuit of us? What does it look like, faith? I think it looks as individual as the person that possesses that faith. But I want to give you just an example Maybe you can put your own faith alongside a couple of these characteristics that in the 90s and 2000s, hundreds and hundreds of people were polled on what characteristics they have because of their faith. What does their life look like because they have faith? Number one is a person that had a mature faith says they trust in God's saving grace and believes firmly in the humanity and divinity of Jesus. A person with mature faith experiences a sense of personal well-being, security, and peace 
This person also integrates faith and life, seeking work, family, social relationships, political choices, and the like as part of one's religious life. He also seeks spiritual growth through study, reflection, prayer, discussion with others. It seeks to be a part of a community of believers who will give witness to their faith and support and nourish one another. And a person of mature faith holds a life-affirming values, including commitment to racial and gender equality, affirming of cultural diversity, and a personal sense of responsibility for the welfare of others. And finally, a person of mature faith serves humanity consistently and passionately through acts of love and service and justice. I'm not quite sure if it's the chicken or the egg with that list, whether a mature faith produces these types of characteristics or whether just a person that seeks to live out these types of characteristics arrives at something that they're not sure of, but they have a great hope in and they have a mature faith. I'll let you guys hold those up to maybe some of the pillars that you think would describe your own faith and how you arrived at that journey. There's a wonderful story of the family of mice that live in this grand concert piano. And they live down in the depths and the bowels of the piano. And their greatest joy in life is when the music maker makes music in the piano. And they get to just relish and enjoy and soak up the beautiful music that the music maker provides. And as time would have it, one of the younger mice that was a little more curious than the others decided he was going to try to make his way up into the piano a little bit. And he made this life-changing discovery. He realized where the music came from. It was the strings, the wires. So he checked them out, looked at them. They were thicker to thinner, and they were long. And he proudly went down to the mice family and said, I've discovered where the music comes from. It's from the strings, the wires. Everything changed for the mice because now they knew where the music came from. But the music lost a little bit of its specialty because now it wasn't such a mystery. But the whole time, the music maker continued to play the music. Another journey up through the piano, that young curious mice went beyond the wires and he saw the hammers. Felt covered that when they strike the wires, they make the beautiful music. So he goes back down to his family again. I discovered even more groundbreaking. The music doesn't come from the wires. The music comes from the hammers that strike the wires and they make the beautiful music that we enjoy. And again, they were enlightened and a little smarter. All the while, the music maker continued to make the music. Sometimes arriving at a place of faith, we just need to listen to the music and not be so curious as to where and how it comes from and where we receive it. We had a kind of an aha moment in one of the confirmation classes, and I loved it. I mean, the questions are firing, there's doubt, there's belief, there's curiosity, and at one, I don't even remember what exactly we were discussing, but at one point, one of the students just said, hey, wait, why in the world did they believe him? What a great question. So we stopped for a minute, and we kind of unpacked that question, and it was such a legitimate question. Why in the world did those first believers who first exhibited faith in Jesus Christ, why in the world did they believe his claims and who he said he was going to be? Well, I think there's a lot of things that go into why they did, but I want to just look at a couple of them this morning. And maybe as we look at those, we can look again at our own faith 
and what we're sure of and hopeful that we can't see. First of all, I think there was just great anticipation over generations and generations and generations of Jewish people that God had made a promise and a covenant with them through prophetic words and through prophets themselves that at one point in time there was going to be a great Messiah and a Savior to come that was going to put everything in a new perspective. It was no longer going to be a God from afar, but it was going to be a personal God. And it was no longer going to be this vicious cycle that the Jewish people and the Israelites had been on throughout the entire Old Testament. Because really the whole Old Testament can be summed up in kind of a, this little cycle where the Jewish people find themselves in trouble and enslaved and they're crying out to God. And the reason they're in trouble and enslaved is usually their own doing, but God in his mercy and his grace says, I will save you and lift you out of that. So he does that. And then they become a little bit more self-confident and self-independent. And then they find themselves in trouble again. And then they either get overthrown or enslaved. And then God comes back and he saves them again. And that cycle continues. And finally, God says, I'm going to put an end to it. I'm going to change the game. When that Messiah comes, he's going to change everything. And he's going to revolutionize not only the world, but your own faith and belief in me. So everybody of the time of Jesus knew that that was going to happen. They believed, they hoped that it happened. So when Jesus showed up, just their sheer anticipation was enough to get them out to see who he was, what he was claiming, and what he was doing. But the really cool thing is that no matter why they came to see him or encountered him, there was not a single person that ever was in the presence of Jesus or had an encounter with him that didn't end up being changed in some way or another. And that change came because of the way they felt, either as they interacted with him or as they heard about him. Their faith journey started with a knowledge that he's making me feel something that I haven't felt before. I don't know if you guys can remember in your own faith journey the encounters you've had with Jesus that have changed you. The encounters that were firsthand, that were emotional, they may have been third, fourth, or fifth hand. You might have been sitting in the seventh row, four seats from the back. Or you may have been in Tahoe overlooking the beautiful snow in the lake, and it happened there. But whenever someone has an encounter with Jesus, they are changed because they feel something. Let's start with his disciples. They're fishermen, probably not the sharpest tools in the shed. They didn't really make it in education, so they were workers and laborers and fishermen. They're out there tending their boats, throwing their nets, working hard for their living. Jesus shows up by the lake, says, hey guys, put the nets away. Put the oars away. My name's Jesus. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Leave everything alone and come with me. And they looked at each other and they said, I'm in. Really? You leave everything that your life exists to go walk with this guy and experience this guy that you know nothing about? They may have heard some things, but there was something about Jesus that when they in, he invited them to join him, they dropped it all and went with him. How do you think he made them feel? There was a woman who was a social outcast from a place called Samaria. She encountered Jesus at Jacob's well. And he showed up and he says, woman, would you give me something to drink? And immediately she knows who, at least where he's from and where she's from, and she feels inadequate. In fact, he starts engaging her in a little conversation and without too much time going by, he calls her out on exactly who she is, what she's been up to, how many times she's been married, and what she's doing with the guy she's with now. She was like, I don't know who you are, but you know a lot about me, 
you must be the Messiah. He says, you have no idea. You want to drink a water out of this well. If you want the water I have for you, you'll never thirst again, and your life will be different. And her response was, i got to go tell everybody I know. And on her way, he clarified for her that, by the way, all those exclusions and places you weren't invited to go before, you're now a part of it. In fact, you're the kind of people that God wants to worship him now. How did he make her feel? There was a centurion, a guy that was in charge of 100 Roman soldiers, and his kid got really sick. He sought out Jesus, and he said, not can you heal my kid. He said, will you? Jesus said, yeah, let's go. He says, we don't need to go anywhere. I know who you are. You just say it, and it'll be done. Just like when I tell my troops to do something, they do it. Jesus says, I've never seen more faith than that. There was another woman that suffered from a bleeding infirmity almost her whole life. She was desperate. Social outcast, humiliated. Somehow, she was so sure of what she hoped for and what she couldn't see that she fought through a crowd just to touch the cloak that he had on. He knew it immediately. Who touched me? Everybody's like, well, what do you mean who touched you? There's people touching you? No, somebody touched me and power went out of me. And woman, by faith, you're healed. How do you think he made her feel? There were a bunch of religious leaders that not only maybe enjoyed the same things that he invoked in people of, of wonder and curiosity and love and grace and acceptance and hope, but he also evoked some other things in other people like fear, being threatened, anger. And some of these religious leaders set up this whole scenario to get Jesus in a catch-22. So they ripped this woman out of an adulterous bed and stand her up in front of everybody else. Nothing on, humiliated. She should have been punished. There were laws in place that she could have been. Jesus said, nope, I don't condemn you. Anybody condemn her? From the oldest to the youngest, they started dropping the rocks and they all left. How did he make her feel? And what was her life of faith like after that encounter with Jesus? How did the religious leaders feel when he kind of dismissed them just with love and grace and acceptance for that woman? There was one other group of religious leaders that responded to an encounter with Jesus in such a dramatic way, and they were so threatened that their way of life and their posterity and their, their status was going to be questioned because of what he was claiming to be. And their only answer was to arrest him and to beat him to a pulp and to nail him to a tree and kill him. Jesus conquered that by rising from the dead. How do you think he made them feel? How does Jesus make you feel? What does your faith consist of? What life journey have you been on in encounters with him that have led you to have hope and faith? I think the way we follow Jesus, the way we respond to the faith that is offered to us as a gift and as a product of an encounter. It, I want to encourage us in pursuing those, but I want to give us a little caution as we act on that. When I was after high school and before I started college, I got to go to a Young Life camp in upstate New York, and I was a ski instructor, water ski instructor. And one thing I found to be true about every single person that tried to learn how to water ski they get back there, you're in a weird environment, you got these boards strapped to your feet, there's a boat in front of you with a, a rope, and you're white knuckle holding on to this handle, 
And the instructor says, all right, just let the boat pull you out of the water. And the natural reaction is always, as soon as that guy hits the throttle and the boat starts to pull them out of the water, they try to stand up. Because they think, I gotta get up, right? I gotta be on top of the water. And as soon as they stand up, what happens? They go flat head over heels. So then they get back and they try it again. And some people get it right the second time. Other people, it takes four or five times and they almost drown. But if they let the boat do the work and pull them out of the water, they get to experience this wonderful thing called water skiing. I think the process and some of the challenge for us as we continue on our faith journey and become people of a sincere faith, we need to be with Jesus a little bit more than we think about doing things for Jesus. We have the encouragement and the responsibility to serve others and have our, our faith accomplish great things. But I think we need to let the boat pull us out of the water for a little while and maybe not try to do so much on our own. Let's help Jesus bring out a wonderful life-changing experience of faith in all of us. And then let's seek to change the world through service. Amen.